I want to start this morning by saying if, uh, if this is your first time visiting us here at Hosanna Christian Fellowship, both in our room or online, we want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. I'm Pastor Nathan, and today we just want to give a quick intro to what we're going to be looking at this morning, and we're actually heading towards the close of Jude, this letter we've been studying for a number of weeks now. But um, as if you've been with us for the last few weeks, uh, in, in, or not the last two weeks, but before that as we've been going through Jude, um, Jude has been uh, just dealing very critically and, and very almost aggressively with apostates and those who defect from the truth. And... and um, you know, he's, he's really been kind of laying into people who are false teachers of false doctrine and those who embrace those false truths. But at this point in the letter, we are actually turning, uh, turning a corner. We're actually going to be turning a corner away from identifying apostates and really dealing with something that I think we all can deal with. You know, for most of this letter, um, as Jude has been dealing with these apostates and describing them in just very vivid terms and in very confrontive details, he's doing all that because his call in this letter has been to fight for the truth, right? When we first started this letter, the idea is that Jude wanted to write something soft and fluffy and nice and encouraging, but the Holy Spirit led him to write the letter we have before us. And this letter in its confrontational tone is meant to encourage us, to stir us up to fight for the truth, to defend the truth. And so he said he found it necessary to write, appealing to us, his readers, to contend for the faith. Now we all should know that that call is as critical today as it was then. Some might argue it's even more critical today because there are still people in the world today doing what Jude described was taking place there in the early church. There are still people coming into the church community by stealth, living ungodly lives, teaching that the grace of God actually endorses, allows, and encourages sensuality and immorality. And ultimately, by doing that, these people that are trying to infiltrate the Christian church are ultimately denying Jesus Christ by twisting the truth of who he is by twisting the truth of what he did, what he came to do, and how we are then to live according to those truths. You know, and sadly in our world today, so many are led astray by false doctrine. They're led astray by, by error in teaching. And those without Christ, we know as Christians, as believers, one of the foundational truths is without Christ, the biblical Christ, as revealed in his word, without Jesus Christ, People suffer the judgment for breaking God's law. And Jesus, he is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only hope of salvation. And so preaching him and teaching him and pointing people towards him is the most important call that we have in our lives as believers. And so we fight for the truth. And we fight with the truth. And we fight for the truth because souls are on the line. Now, earlier in this letter, we, we looked at how Jude was encouraging and really pointing out that every Christian believer is called to this fight. Not just the pastors, not just the worship leaders, not just the volunteers or the servants. Every Christian believer is called to this fight because every believer has a role in the fight. Every believer has a part to play. And so there's effort on our part as believers to be in the fight, to stay in the fight, and that effort is akin to a boxer making sure that they're conditioned for the fight so that they're ready. 
or a soldier who is well-armed and well-trained to be able to participate in the battle. And the idea scripturally is that we are each ready to fulfill our ministry, our part, our call in this battle for truth that wages in the world today. You know, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, he said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And that call is on all of us to be ready in season and out of season. For Timothy specifically, specifically, he said, preach the word, but we're all called to preach the word to proclaim the word, to declare the word. Some of, it do, do as, some of us do it as pastors and teachers, as evangelists, but every Christian is called to share the truth, the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And the reason is found in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, where it says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths, and this is happening today. It's happening very, very aggressively, and with the advent of technology and YouTube and streaming platforms, wow, false teachers are multiplying rapidly, and it multiply very easily. And we see that truth is exchanged for feel-good messages, and biblical morality is exchanged for relative morality, and sound doctrine is exchanged for, well, what will attract the most people to our church. But guess what? <clears throat> In this call to fight, sometimes we get tired of fighting. Don't we? We get tired. I'll confess to you, sometimes I get tired of the fight. Sometimes we find ourselves losing our oomph, losing our compassion for the lost in the moments we find ourselves in. Maybe we find ourselves looking out on humanity and saying, they're responsible for their own decisions. Why do I have to be responsible for their decisions? I care that they go to heaven or hell, but why do I have to do anything about it? Sometimes we could just get tired. Sometimes we could get tired. And then, of course, we get tired, we step off the fight, we step away from the fight, and the devil steps right in to beat us up. To beat us up for doing that, we feel worse, we feel even more defeated, find ourselves possibly feeling like failures, frauds, guilty, and alone. Well, as I said, Jude opened the call, this letter with the call to fight, the call to contend to the fight, or contend in the fight. But in verses 20 through 23 of Jude that we're looking at this morning, he really tells us how to stay in the fight when we are tempted to exit the fight. Tells us how to remain strong. You know, of course, we are in the Christmas season, and all of us are gonna see a lot of people over the next few weeks that maybe we don't see all the time, family members, friends, Christmas parties at work, and we're gonna be with people that don't know Jesus, that don't have the hope of heaven, and we are given a, a really awesome opportunity to engage with them, to talk with them, to share with them about the hope that is within us. But the devil is very good at maybe getting into our ears, getting into our heads and saying, you know what, it's just too much. Just go hang out, eat some food. Don't say anything about Jesus. Just back off a little bit. Well, what we're looking at this morning is a great encouragement where Jude tells us how to be ready in season and out of season. How to maintain or reattain, if need be, our passion for the truth and our passion to fight for the truth, and by extension, our passion to fight for those who don't know the truth, 
or those who have been led away from it. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I want to take an opportunity to pray real quick, and then I want to introduce the very special worship we have today. But first, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, so much for who you are and what you're doing and what you've done, God. We thank you that you came to this earth and died on the cross for our sin. Lord, that you paid a price we can never pay, that we can have a salvation we can never earn. And Lord, we love you for that and we thank you, God. And especially in this Christmas season as we are coming to the, the time of celebrating your birth, the time where you came to this earth and clothed yourself in frail humanity, Lord. To live a life of sinless perfection that then would be given to us through faith, attributed to us through faith, Lord. Something, gosh, we could never earn, Lord. But that's why it is a free gift. Lord, as we're coming to this time to celebrate, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would speak to us this morning and encourage us, especially those that may be tired of the fight, that may be tempted to step away, God, that we would remember, Lord, you gave everything in the fight. You gave everything. And as our example, we're called to follow your example, and so we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us this morning to stay in the fight with some practical tools and encouragements on exactly how to do that when we find ourselves wavering in our enthusiasm and our passion to fight for truth. God, we thank you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's go ahead and get into Jude. We are in Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude, but verses 20 through 23 this morning. And I want to read it to you for context. It says, But you... Dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You know, this is the shift in this letter as we've been studying it. In verse 19, which is literally right before verse 20, um, he uses this phrase, these people, as he's writing. And these people is referring to the apostates, the scoffers, the ungodly, the grumblers, the arrogant flatterers, the dangerous reefs, the waterless clouds, and so on. As he has described these people who not only defect from the truth of Christianity, but then try and teach those false truths to other people and draw them away from the truth, truth of Christianity. And so the whole letter up to this point has really been about these people. But here in verse 20, he shifts gears and he goes, but you, dear friends, talking to us, the believers, the Christians that are in the church, the family of God. And so he's turning to the believers now. He's turning back to the family. He's turning back to the team. He's turning back to the fellow soldiers now to encourage us in the fight that he has called us to. And so where we've been looking at through this letter that these people may be falling away. These people may be defecting from the truth and turning away from the truth of the Bible and the word of God. He says, but you, keep standing. Keep fighting. Remain engaged in this fight because souls are on the line. So there's four things I want to point out today that really, I think, help encourage us remain in the fight, especially when we're finding ourselves tired of the fight and maybe wandering. And the first thing we need to do 
To maintain our passion in this fight for truth is to keep building our own faith. You'll notice there in verse 20, he says, but you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, and then he goes on to say some other things, but this first key here is what he's encouraging us to do. One of the ways to insulate ourselves against false teaching, one of the ways to keep ourselves from defecting from the truth or falling away from the truth, and one of the ways to remain strong and passionate in our own defense of the truth is to keep building ourselves up in our own most holy faith. Now when he says build yourselves up there, that simply means to strengthen or to make more able by building onto something or adding to something. Another uh, definition was increasing the potential of someone with a focus of the ongoing process involved. That's the idea of building yourself up. But then he says this interesting phrase here. He says, in your most holy faith. Take note of that. In your most holy faith. I love how Jude personalizes this because when he began this letter encouraging us to contend for the faith back in verse three, he encouraged us to contend for the faith. That was the phrase he used, the faith. Now obviously that idea of contending was this idea of exerting intense effort in the struggle or the fight. It was this athletic picture of a runner straining every muscle, agonizing to win, to cross the finish line, right? That's the idea of contending. But when he said the faith, he's not referring to your personal faith, your personal belief, your personal relationship with the Lord. When he said the faith back in verse three of Jude, he was referring to the entirety of Christian doctrine the entirety of the truths we believe as Christians, the entirety of, of, of everything we believe, which is the truth that he's calling us to fight for, and he calls it the faith. It's all those basic principles we hold as true as Christian believers. But for every believer, the faith really has become our faith, hasn't it? It's become something that, that now is a part of who we are, it's our faith, it's your faith, it's my faith. It's, it's something that not only have we come to believe in, but it's something that has come to define us and characterize who we are, our life, right? We live for Jesus and who he is and what he calls us to do and who he calls us to be. So the faith, the truth, is what these people, verse 19, are trying to tear down. They're trying to change it, alter it, corrupt it. And the continual onslaught of these, these people, apostates, assaulting the truth of God, the continual onslaught is something that slowly chips away at the fortress of truth that surrounds us as believers. And if we as believers aren't regularly, continually strengthening ourselves in the faith, the truth, then what we can sometimes find ourselves um, experiencing is that we can start questioning the truth. We can start questioning the truth. We start to lose our motivation to defend it. We can start to lose our passion to stay in the fight for those truths. You know, if you picture like in medieval times, right, you had a big castle, 
made of stone. It's a fortress. People are inside it. And outside that castle, you have enemies with catapults and trebuchets. And, and in the battles and the sieges, they would just hurl this stuff at the walls trying to break down the fortress that was protecting the people inside. And so to use Jude's example from earlier in this letter, the world continually hurls the lie because God is a God of love. He endorses all forms and all expressions of love, regardless of the lifestyle that that love is expressed in. And they hurl this lie repeatedly at the fortress of truth that we know. Or as Jude put it, they use the grace of God as a license for morality. And that lie is continually hurled at the fortress of truth, and over and over it crashes against the fortress of truth that we know the truth of what God has defined as, as human relationships and human sexuality, to again use Jude's example from earlier when he used the example of God judging Sodom and Gomorrah for their attempt to redefine human relationships and sexuality. But that lie just keeps coming and relentlessly assaults that truth. And just like in a siege, eventually that assault can start to chip away and cause pieces of the fortress to crumble down. And in those times, we start thinking, maybe God is okay with that. Maybe, maybe God doesn't have a stance against certain lifestyles that, that, that we have been told in the Bible. Or other lies that the enemy will hurl at us, specifically when it comes to our outreach and our evangelism and our sharing of our faith. You know, the, the, the lie comes, you don't need to share your faith. You don't need to engage with people. You have no obligation or responsibility for their decisions. Boom! And you're hiding in the fortress of truth going, no, I believe God's called me to do it, but boom, the lie keeps assaulting. And eventually, it can start to crack that fortress if you don't continually build yourself back up. If you don't continually add on to what has been damaged, if you don't immediately revisit and repair and rebuild and strengthen and reinforce that fortification with the truth, the faith, sometimes our faith can then start to waver and start to struggle a bit. And you could find yourselves questioning the faith, considering the lie and rationalizing it. And so Jude says, keep building yourself up in your faith. Keep building yourself up in your belief. Keep revisiting and repairing and, and, and adding on to that which is being assaulted by the world so that you don't waver, so that you don't crumble, so that you don't defect from the truth. And to answer the question, well, where do we find the faith? We all know, right? It's in the Word, the Word of God. It's the Bible that we have. It's there where we learn who God is, who Jesus is, who we are, and how all of that works together. That's where we learn all about all of it. It's where we learn how we should then live and behave. Because your faith and my faith is based upon the faith. And so we need regular maintenance. Our spiritual life needs regular maintenance. That's why we gather together as the body of Christ to study the word. 
That's why we encourage, you know, joining small groups and stuff and get together with other members of the body and get in the word and fellowship together and encourage one another and pray for one another and worship together. Keep building it up. Keep adding to it. Keep adding on to it. You know, the process actually is pictured in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Peter says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. He goes on to say, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. And then later on in that same chapter in verse 19 of 2 Peter 1, he says, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You know, your faith, as Jude points out here, my faith, at times our faith can waver. It can weaken. It can diminish or lose its passion if it's not regularly fortified with the faith. And that's why we're constantly taught to be in the word and to study the word and to read the word and to memorize the word and to internalize the word because the word is the truth. It's the truth about God and who he is and who he wants us to be and how we get there. And that's why we go through it and over it and from the front to the back because the faith is found in the word of God. And that's just a big truth about our walk, right? Christian growth isn't automatic. It would be great if it was, right? You just got saved and then went about your life and each day you woke up, wow, I'm a little more mature. How awesome is this? I did nothing. I haven't talked to God in six months, but I feel so much closer to him. But that's not how it works, does it? It's a process. The fire of our passion for the truth and the faith is something I believe needs constant stoking in our lives. And if you neglect it, the fire, the passion, it'll cool off. It could possibly go out. So attend to it, and it'll continue to burn bright. Now, the second thing we need to do to maintain our passion in the fight for truth that we are called to is to pray with intention. Look at verse 20 again. He says right after that first part, praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, building yourselves up in the faith and and primarily by being in the word, that's the first half of a cycle of communication that God wants with us. When we get into the word of God, that's God speaking to us, right? You open up the Bible, that's God speaking to you. But when we pray, that's then us speaking to God, speaking our heart, bringing him our needs, our wants, our desires, our petitions, bringing him our fears, bringing him everything. It's a cycle. And both are necessary to bring balance um, to our spiritual lives and really to strengthen our spiritual lives. But I want to address this because, you know, some read this phrase, praying in the Holy Spirit, and they could get caught up or confused by it. So what does Jude mean by praying in the Holy Spirit? Some read this phrase and think that this is a reference to praying in tongues, as we say in the, in the Bible, right? Praying in tongues or speaking in tongues. 
Now, that is a thing, incidentally, right? We believe here at Hosanna that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are alive and active today, and, and in God, as he chooses to move in the gifts of the Spirit, those, those things happen today. They really do. And speaking in tongues is one of them. Praying in, in tongues is one of them. You know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul says, you know, there are times when we don't know how to pray, and the Spirit then intercedes for us with groanings and moanings, Right? You ever been in that situation where there's something before you that is so heavy on your heart and you're like, God, I don't even know what to pray for this. And then there's just an utterance from the depth of your soul that's just like, ugh. Not saying that's how you should pray, but <laughs> it's an utterance, right? It's the Holy Spirit interceding on your behalf. It's a thing. First Corinthians chapter 12 and Chapter 13, Paul goes into depth teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, and those gifts aren't something that we have that we turn on and off. They are movements of the Holy Spirit in the life of, of God's children as he wills, as he directs. And speaking, of tongue, speaking in tongues or speaking in languages is one of those gifts. I personally exercise this gift in my own private prayer life, and I am blessed because of it. It's a thing. It's a thing is what I'm trying to point out here. But that isn't what Jude's addressing here. Um, when he says praying in the Holy Spirit, that word in there in the Greek means in union with or closely joined to or in line with, all right? And then again, the context, if you look back in Jude verse 19, he said, these people create divisions and are worldly, not having the Spirit. So there's a contrast Jude's picking up here between these people and but you, right? These people don't have the Spirit. They're not saved. They don't know God. There's no union with the Holy Spirit. But in verse 20, but you, in contrast, you do have the Spirit. You are saved. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Your life is led and lived in line with him. You are joined close, closely to, you know, all of those concepts. And so when he says praying in the Holy Spirit here, he's simply talking about praying in accordance with God's will. Praying in, in line with and in from our union with the Holy Spirit. It's the idea of being led by the Spirit in our prayers. But not just led passively, but intentionally led by the Spirit. And it's the idea of, of when you pray, it's like, Spirit, guide me, direct me in my prayers. What do you want me to pray for? How do you want me to pray? Who do you want me to pray for? It's what he puts on your heart in your prayer time. Now, incidentally, this doesn't preclude what Romans 8 is talking about, right? Holy Spirit, what should I pray for? I don't know. Ugh. It's not precluding that. It's not precluding that moment of the utterance that the Holy Spirit might, might uh, intercede on your behalf for. But Jude is not exhorting here a restricted or limited prayer must be in tongues or prayer has to be, you know, uh, spoken in tongues in order to be effective. That's not what he's getting at here. What Jude is saying is, look, pray. And in your prayer life, let that prayer be intentionally led by the Holy Spirit within you. Let it be intentionally led by him. And yeah, if the Spirit gives you an utterance in the moment of your prayer time, be blessed with that. But incidentally, I do want to say that, that contrary to some traditions, um, I don't believe that the Bible teaches that tongues are a proof that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Some traditions say that. If you don't speak in tongues regularly, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't believe the Bible teaches that at all. Um, tongues and utterances like that, it's a move of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer for his will, by his will, for his purpose and at his timing, but it's not something we necessarily initiate or control. It's a gift that we're open to. And it's a gift that we let the Holy Spirit um, exercise through us as he wills. So. But the idea here is when we intentionally, regularly go to God in prayer, seeking his leading and his heart on what to pray for and how to pray, I believe when we do that, and that's a regular, intentional part of our life, our faith will remain ignited for the faith. Our hearts will remain in alignment with his because they will then remain connected with his and because he is passionate about his truth and he is passionate about the effect of his truth in the world and the effect it has on people's lives, we will be also. Make sense? When we disconnect, that's when I think our heart starts to cool off. And that happens to all of us, myself included, right? We get busy with life, we get busy with work, we get busy with fill in the blank, and maybe we're not in the word as much as we should be. And maybe we're not praying as intentionally as we should be. And then we find ourselves in these places where it's like, why do I have to engage in the fight? And it's simply God going, hey, I'm right here. Don't disconnect. Come back. Let's talk. Listen to me. Talk to me. Share your heart with me. And when we do that, I believe our hearts remain ignited for the truth. The third thing that we need to do to remain, um, to maintain our passion for the fight for truth, I believe here Judah's teaching is to keep experiencing God's love. Like look at verse 21. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Now what does he mean there? What he doesn't mean is keep yourself saved because you can't. <laughs> you didn't save you. Uh, so you can't keep you saved. It's impossible. You're saved by God. God saved us. It's his sovereign work in our lives. And, and really, biblically, our salvation doesn't depend on our effort. Right? We don't earn our salvation. We can't lose our salvation. When you're saved, you're saved. Right? First John wrote a whole letter about this is how you know that you're saved. And the difference is the nature and the heart of the person and their desire to obey God or not obey God. But earlier in this letter, Jude, in verse 1, he said that, that we are loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Right? That word kept means guarded, watched over, protected, or preserved. And then he bookends the letter in verse 24. He says, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to him be the glory, talking of Jesus Christ. So he's not saying keep yourself saved, labor at keeping yourself saved. That's not what he's talking about here. He's also not saying make sure you do the things that, that, that keep God loving you. That's not what he's saying either. You know, sometimes I talk to people and, and you may have thought this in your life, you know, gosh, I, I, I did this or, or I didn't do that. I don't know how God could love me. God can't love me. I'm too bad of a person. How can God love me? I don't understand. And they'll ask me that question. I'll be like, I don't know how God could love you either. I don't know how God could love me. Let's be honest, right? I mean, if we're going to have that conversation, how can God love any of us? We're wicked. We're sinful. We're broken people. We're selfish. 
But God loves the unlovable, doesn't he? God loves the broken. There is no work or effort we need to do that keeps God loving us. Jude is not saying keep yourself in a condition or a status where where God is able to love you because God loved us when we were at our worst. God loved us when we were were his enemy. God loved us when we hated him. So, So there's no work to keep yourself in a place where God could love you, right? The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love doesn't turn on and off. Matter of fact, his word says, for God so loved the entire world, he gave his only son. Then that whoever would believe in him would be saved. His love started first, before we even cared. So so there's nothing we could do to, to make sure, is he still loving me? Did I do enough things so he's still loving me? That's not what Jude is talking about here. What he does mean is keep yourself in a place where you're experiencing the love of God. You know, the love of God towards you and for you, it's a constant, period. It's a constant, but, but he's saying keep yourself in, 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 in the path of its effect, if you will, right? There's a fire hydrant gushing water out. He's like, stay in the path. Don't remove yourself from that. You know, stay in the light, stay in its warmth, remain in the place where you're experiencing its effect. Don't let anything come between you and the experience of God's love and favor in your life. Don't step out of light, don't go back into the darkness. What does this? It's sin, it's disobedience. It's when we choose to disobey God and live contrary to the truth, the faith, that's when we remove ourselves in that place where we're experiencing the love of God. You know, when we maintain a preoccupation with the fact that God loves us, despite us, when we continually reflect on his great love for us and what he did for us and what he continually does for us, our hearts want to live in a way that pleases him. This is what 1 John was all about, right? It says, we know that we are his when we keep his commandments. And you go, well, I don't do that half the time I'm alive. And he doesn't mean keep it perfectly all the time. He means have the intention, your norm, your goal, right? Your regular habit is, God, I want to please you. God, I want to obey you, right? That's the new nature he gives us, and we have a desire to do that. And when we live in obedience, when we're in that place where there's no sin between us and him, we're in that place where we're just freely experiencing all the blessings of of God's favor for his children. The peace, the joy, everything that comes from just Oh, God, we're in a good place. And when we live to please him, when we follow our God-given, regenerated, born-again nature that, that desires to obey him with nothing between us and him, no wickedness, no sin, no selfishness, no disobedience, I believe our hearts then remain filled with a passion for him in his truth and a passion to proclaim his truth and a passion that keeps us in the fight. But it's when we remove ourselves from him. We remove ourselves from experiencing his love in our life moment to moment through disobedience. When we exit the light and hide in the dark, well, isn't that when the guilt and the shame pile on? And we say, I can't hand out a tract. I can't talk to anybody about God. 
I can't share my faith. I'm a hypocrite. I'm a, or I don't want to, or forget, right? It's, it's when we remove ourselves from the light and just experiencing the love ourselves that we start to cool off and go, I don't want to tell anybody about it. And so the fourth thing we need to do to maintain our passion in this fight for truth is to keep expecting the future. Look at verse 21. Waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. You know, this ties into the previous point a bit, but when we realize what's coming for us who have trusted in Jesus Christ for our salvation, not judgment, not punishment, not hell, not torment forever, but mercy, Right, and incidentally, that word mercy means leniency and compassion shown towards offenders. Interesting word when we say we're waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking forward to that leniency and that compassion showed towards offenders. Why? Because we broke his law. We're all guilty of it, right? We all violated his truth. And it's not that Christ erased the fact that we ever sinned. We did sin. That fact remains, but he took the punishment for it in our place. He took the punishment for it in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be pardoned, so that we could be set free. Hallelujah. And that's what we're looking forward to. Looking forward to that blessed hope of heaven and an eternity with him because of what he did for us. When we remain in that truth, when we abide in that love, when we understand that, yeah, from God's perspective, he sees us and treats us as if we never sinned, we can't help but to live in gratitude. We can't help to to, to demonstrate that gratitude through wanting to please him and obey him and do what he wants and live the way he's calling us to live. And we do it with eager anticipation, looking forward to, or as he says here, waiting expectantly for his return. Because we know that when he returns, it's not to drop the hammer of justice on us. It's not to come down and say, okay, line up people. Right, when I was a kid and I did something wrong and I was very aware I did something wrong, the most terrifying sound in the world was my mom's footsteps coming from the other side of the house. And I swear, when I did something wrong, those footsteps were louder and heavier every time. Judgment is coming. But that's not the attitude we're waiting for God to show up in, right? When we're remaining in that place, when we're waiting expectantly for his return, we, we, we know that, that we're waiting for him to come and welcome us, not to drop the hammer of justice, but to welcome us, pardoned criminals, but now adopted children into eternal life. I cannot wait for that. I don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. Sorry if that offends you. But because another human being, another pardoned criminal who considered God's truth worth fighting for, worth preaching, worth declaring, worth proclaiming in one way or another, because some other person who was pardoned from their crimes by the love of God Almighty decided to proclaim that to you, to share it with you, to give you a track, to talk to you about Jesus, to share the Bible with you, something, some way, that when the time was right, I believed and I was saved. And you believed and you were saved. What great mercy 
we have apprehended. What great hope lies before us. And what great love has been lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. So when we keep building our faith, keep praying with intention, keep experiencing his love, keep expecting the future, I think in all of that, we keep ourselves properly focused on him and who he is and what he's done and what that means for us. And when we do that, we keep our hearts in alignment with his and we keep our will yielded to his. And when we do that, we keep ourselves in the fight. We keep ourselves full of passion, ready to go to war for the truth, the faith, and for those who don't yet know it and are trapped under the deceptions, the lies of the enemy. It's work, it's effort. But the result of it is what he gets into in verse 22 and 23, and we'll go through this real quick, right? Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. He's talking again about those he's been talking about through the whole letter, the apostates, those who have left the truth, defected from the truth, those who have have denied it and are now twisting it and, and corrupting it. Those that he said earlier in Jude are still even participating in the church community and showing up to church and coming to the events but they're embracing false doctrine and being led astray. Jude's saying here, don't write them off. Don't write them off, which is super easy to do. It's really easy to get selfish. It's really easy when we're tired, especially, to say, you know what, they made their own decision. Forget them. Let them go. We don't want them here anyways. They're too difficult to talk to. I just like talking to Christians because we agree on everything. I don't like apologetics. It's too hard. Jude says don't do that because God didn't write you off. God didn't write me off. He loved us so much he came to this earth and we're gonna celebrate in a couple weeks to be born as a man, to live as a man, a perfect life, to grow and experience everything that we experience so that he could identify with us in every challenge and struggle we have and then went and died on the cross, was tortured and brutalized for your sin and my sin. But then, hallelujah, rose from the dead on the third day, defeating the power of sin and death forever. And we have access to the freedom and the forgiveness of all that just simply through faith in believing in who he is and what he did. Don't write them off. You know, often it's those of who are the greatest enemies of the church, are the ones that become its greatest proponents, right? Can you think of one, maybe, in the Bible? Paul the Apostle, who was once known as Saul, ended up writing most of what we have is the New Testament. So stay in the fight. Keep yourself in the battle. Pray for the lost. Pray for how God would want you to reach them. Pray with intentionality. God, how do I, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? When do you want me to say it? Stay in the word so that the lies of the world as they're being hefted against the truth that you know. Stay in the word so that the fortifications of the truth are continually built up and you don't start to go, hmm, maybe. I should entertain that lie. No, God's truth is solid and I don't need to waver from that. Stay in that place 
where you're experiencing the love of God, where you're regularly thinking about and reminded of what he did for you and the lengths he went for you that you would be saved. Think about, as the Bible says, that he knows you so well, he knows how many hairs are on your head. I don't even know how many hairs are on my head. Some of us are going, well, I know I'm losing some. And that happens. The Bible says we're the apple of his eye. Do you know what that means? Have you ever stared so intently into someone's eyes that you see your own reflection in their eyeball? That's intimate, isn't it? That's close. That's what it means when it says we're the apple of his eye. That he's not just passively, oh yeah, okay, you're my kid, cool, cool, cool. No, he knows you, he loves you, he hears you. And we think, well, of course, I'm his child. No, he loved you before you were his child. And he did everything possible in his power to reach you with the truth of how much he loved you, the state of your sin, the judgment that was coming, and how he paid the price for it so that you could be forgiven. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, the beginning of that whole story. And so don't write them off. You know, he points out a few different types of people here, you know, those that are wavering, right? And he goes, have mercy on those who waver. It's interesting, that word wavering there means um, people who are hesitating or think that something might not be true. Right, there are people who, 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 want to know God and are seeking God and seeking his truth. And, and so they're reading everything and they're listening to every YouTube video. And, and, and guess what? In this journey, the devil's doing everything he can to throw false truths at them, to get them off track and to start thinking, oh, yeah, Jesus was Lucifer's brother. That's right. No, that's not right. Oh, well, he was, the, no, that's not right either. The truth is in his word, but, but they're wavering, they're, they're, they're hesitating, and, and sometimes they go, well, you know, I like this part of the Bible, but I don't like this part so much, so we're going to just throw that out. And, no, 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 we, the whole truth, the whole counsel of God's word is true. Incidentally, these are the ones that the false teachers love to go after because they're, they're easy pickings, but he says have mercy on them. Have compassion on them. Don't criticize them. Don't condemn them. Don't write them off. Don't put them down, but evangelize them. Keep sharing the truth with them. Be willing to answer their questions, or at least point them to the answers to their questions. There's so many good resources in the world today that are solid and biblical. Be ready. Like Pastor Mike's ministry with Bible Thinker. I love that ministry because, man, he does all the work, and I just get to go, hey, go watch that video. <laughs> Right? I have this really difficult question. Well, you know, I have a friend who did a six-hour video on that. <laughs> Go watch it. There's resources. Use them, people. Use them. But then when he talks about saving others and by snatching them from the fire and mercy on others but with fear, these are the people that, that aren't necessarily wavering. These are people that have just outright left and outright, you know, checked out, maybe, you know, came to church for a while, but they said, no, 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 I'm just fully embracing these false truths and, and, and don't write them off either. Sometimes you gotta snatch them from the fire, right? This harkens back to the Sodom and Gomorrah example, right? You, you go back and read that story and Jude used it earlier. What did the angels do in Sodom with Lot? They confronted Lot. They said, hey dude, you need to get out of town now. 
And you go read the story and Lot was like, yeah, but I kind of like it here and I want to linger and well, but, but. And then, you know, it says they took him by the hand and they let him out before the fire fell. So as we're out sharing with people, you know, there's some people that, that we're going to be delicate with and compassionate with because they're, they're just kind of hesitating, wavering. It's like, okay, let's patiently answer those questions and deal with that. And there's others we're going to confront very, very, very boldly. It depends on the condition of their heart. For some, let's, 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 let's watch this video together. Let's, let's, let's do this. For others, dude, your house is on fire. It's not fine. You got to leave now. But either way, we're engaged. We're engaged in the fight. And so if you've lost that feeling this morning you, you, or, or you feel like you're losing your passion to stay in the fight, you found yourself kind of cooled off and going, eh, someone else will talk to him. I don't need to. As a matter of fact, I don't feel like I have to. Well, there's hope for you. Because when we come to that place and... and and I was recently wrestling with some of this and going, God, what is wrong with my heart right now? And, and the Lord is so faithful. We can even come to him and say, God, I don't care about the lost right now. And he doesn't write us off and kick us out. But when we're honest and we come to him and say, God, something's wrong with my heart. Can you show me how to fix it? What's really neat is then the next day you sit down to study Jude chapter or 1 verses 20 through 23 and what does he tell you? Hey, keep building your faith. Hey, keep praying with intention. Hey, why don't you keep experiencing my love? Hey, why don't, why don't you keep expecting the future? Because when you do these things, your heart turns around. Our heart is so desperately wicked, according to the Bible. It lies to us. We feel this one day. We feel something else the other day. But the truth never changes. And the truth is, is that God loves every single person on this planet and wants them to know him. And he wants to give you and me that same heart and that heart that we would carry with us every day. His heart, not our own, his heart. And when you do these things, I promise, your heart will align with God's, which is his intent, and his cares will become your cares. His desires will become your desires. Now, if you're here this morning and you're doubting or you're wavering when it comes to the truth of Christianity and God, maybe you're wandered away all, all completely, right? You're like, ah, I'm just embracing some false teaching and I don't care. Maybe you don't even know it's false teaching, but I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning about the truth of who he is. You need to come to Christ today. Christ is calling you today. He loves you. And we here at Hosanna love you enough to say, look, without Christ, you will suffer the judgment. Without Jesus, as revealed in the word of God, who he is, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who came to this earth and lived and died for you on the cross, was resurrected and is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, praying for you today. Without him as your Lord and Savior, there is no hope. That is true, and you need to receive him this morning. So bring him your doubts. Bring him your fears. Bring him your fears and your rebellion and all of it and confess it to him and give him your life and start that process of building yourself up in the most holy faith. Praying, filled with the Holy Spirit in a way you've never experienced before, 
experiencing the love of God in whole new, fresh ways as you grow in your relationship with him, expecting his return as he comes for you, his child. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we trust you, Lord, and we love you. We thank you, God, so much for who you are and what you've done. God, you are so faithful, even when we are faithless, Lord. God, you are so dependable, even when we are flakes. And yet, God, it's even in these moments where our heart weakens and our heart feels defeated or our heart feels like a failure or a fraud or, or our heart is just, just being assaulted by the enemy and we're starting to wonder, is, is the truth we believe in really true, God? You are there in that moment as well, walking with us to strengthen us, to remind us of what you did. And especially, Lord, as we're in this Christmas season and reflecting and remembering and singing worship songs and all this stuff about who you are and what your birth meant. God, let all of that remind us of who you are and how much you love us. Our great and desperate need for you. God, that we that are your children today, Lord, would, would, would get back into the fight if we've left it. That we would re-engage into the fight if we've let up. And that, God, we would recommit to these, these, these habits of building ourselves up in the word and studying it and praying with intention, Lord. Living in obedience, Lord, denying sin, walking away from sin, that we would remain in that place of experiencing your love and your favor, God. Lord, with great expectation that if you return today, it would be the best thing because we're not doing anything wrong. But instead, God, we're full of your heart and your passion and your zeal and your love, especially for the lost. And that, God, we would be people who go forth to preach the gospel, to be ready in season and out of season with the calling you've laid on our lives to hand out tracts, to have conversations, whatever it may be, God, but to be a light for Jesus Christ in the sphere of influence you've given each one of us. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And right now while we're praying with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anybody in this room this morning, God has spoken to you about your need for him. You know, the Bible says that every single human being has fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. People who have put their faith in Jesus aren't perfect, aren't better. They're simply saved and forgiven. And if God is speaking to you this morning about the truth of who he is, God Almighty, who died for your sins, and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about your need for forgiveness, that you need to repent of your sin and receive him as your Lord and Savior this morning, while we're praying, I just want you to raise your hand in your seat and say, yeah, I want to receive Jesus Christ this morning. He has spoken to me. I need to be saved. I need his forgiveness. If you're watching online, obviously I can't see you, but if you want to receive Jesus Christ this morning, just simply type into the chat there, whether you're on YouTube or our other platform, and just say, I'm receiving Jesus Christ this morning. I need forgiveness. Because God is here to do a work, and he came to this earth to do a work, the work of salvation, to save our lives. So anybody in this room, God is speaking to you this morning. Just raise your hand where I could see it. Let me pray with you. And if you're online, please let us know in chat. 
So let's pray. Father God, if you want to receive Jesus this morning, pray this with me. Father God, I believe in the truth of who you are. I believe that you came to this earth to die for me. I believe that I've broken your law. I believe in the truth of your Bible and your word. And I ask you, God, to come into my life and to be my Lord and Savior, to be my master, to be my teacher, to guide me and to direct me into all truth. Keep me from falsehoods. Keep me from lies. Help me to know you. Teach me how to build myself up in my faith by studying your word. Teach me how to pray with intention, connected with the Holy Spirit. Teach me how to remain in the, in the place of experiencing your love daily. And teach me, Lord, how to live expectantly for your return. Thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for forgiving me for my sin. Thank you for coming into my life and saving my soul. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys. We are gonna close in a few more songs of worship just celebrating Jesus and who he is. Um, I encourage you guys to just hang out with us as we're blessed with the worship here with Dennis and his band. But most importantly, keep loving Jesus, keep preaching Jesus, keep living for Jesus, amen? All right, God bless you guys.